Welcome to The Re-Education. Today's show is a little shorter and a bit different than past episodes. I'm just offering a monologue, and it's a bit of a bonus for our July 4th weekend because I wanted to share my thoughts on the National Anthem. What you've just heard is the original version of our national anthem. It's the music to our national anthem. It was written as the theme for a private club in London in the 18th century called the Anacreonic Society, which itself was named for a bard in ancient Greece who loved poetry and wine. The Anacreonic Society served as a kind of glee club for the barristers and doctors who liked to drink and sing together. It became popular in the United States and in the colonies before there was a United States. So in 1814, on September 14th, a Baltimore lawyer who liked that song named Francis Scott Key decided to write new lyrics to it as he watched Patriots defend Fort McHenry from the British Navy. And ever since, it has been the Star Spangled Banner. So to recap, the melody of our national anthem was a drinking song for London gentlemen, and its lyrics were written by a Baltimore attorney. I don't know about you. I just think we can do better. You know, part of this is because music got much better in the 20th century. It's not to say that there was no good music in the 18th and 19th centuries. Much of the classical canon was written then. You know, your, your Beethoven and, and Mozart for sure. You know, and there was no sound recording. So maybe there were these amazing folk songs that were just lost to history. It's possible. But let's not kid ourselves. American music really didn't come into full flower until the 20th century. That's when we invented, you know, modern blues, rock, hip-hop, jazz, show tunes. From Tin Pan Alley to the Brill Building, 20th century America was just a wonderful place for musical creativity. Before the 1920s, you know, most Americans rocked out to, like, waltzes and marching bands, John Philip Sousa. And, you know, after, really, the, the advent of Louis Armstrong, which is, I guess, in the 19-teens, everything changes for the better. So in this special July 4th bonus episode, I want to make the case for why we should replace the Star-Spangled Banner with something a little bit more modern and something that better reflects what an awesome country we have. Before I do that, though, let's acknowledge that just because the National Anthem is a D-minus song with C-minus lyrics doesn't mean there have not been superb renditions. That is just a testament some of the great artists who have sung this song in the past. So I'm going to go through a few. There's, of course, Marvin Gaye's performance at the 1983 All-Star Game. Can you see And bright stars 
There's Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock. And then there is Whitney Houston at the 1991 Super Bowl. What an amazing voice she has. So for me, that's the top three. And it proves that our greatest musicians can make crackers and cheese taste like caviar and champagne. Just imagine, though, how much better these performances would have been if our national anthem was a halfway decent song. So with that in mind, I have a few contenders for an upgrade. We all are part of God's great big family And the truth, you know love is all we I know, it's kind of cheesy. And I also know that the organizers of USA for Africa, for whom this song was written, made it seem like the famine in Ethiopia at the time was because wealthy countries were stingy with development aid, as opposed to the predictable consequences of the communist Mengistu regime's cruel economic policies and political repression. And yes, I also know that the coolest artist in 1985, which of course is Prince, boycotted the whole project because he thought We Are the World was incredibly lame. But you know what? Prince wasn't always right. In this case, he was wrong because We Are the World is actually really catchy. And as a national anthem goes, which are usually not the greatest songs, it will do. More importantly, the lyrics really celebrate America as a global power and the fact that we are a nation of immigrants. We are the world. But we're not only the world. We're also the children. We're the future, which is, you know, I guess... A lot of hubris is in that statement that we are the future, but I feel it kind of goes hand in hand with American swagger. Finally, we're a really generous nation, which, by the way, we are. Individually, statistically, Americans are very generous. So let's start giving it. I think that We Are the World really does work as more than just this charity mega single. I think it could be a national anthem. I feel that, like, you know, it has a lot of meanings. It is a pop song. It's middle brow all the way. It's not the most challenging piece of music, but I think it works as an anthem. Okay. Moving on. Born, 
Now this one is a strong contender. The drawback here is, of course, that Elton John is not an American. He was a British citizen, still is. And I get it. But then again, our current national anthem, we, you know, was originally a song for, you know, a London gentleman's club. Technically, also, this song is about the Philadelphia women's tennis team and not the bicentennial. But it was written in 1976. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's got America written all over it. You, it. It works. Anyway, I like it. I think you can dance to it. it. I don't think it feels dated, even though it does. It screams 70s, but there's something timeless about it. You know, really, like... Any Democratic Republic would be proud to have a song this cool, you know, as their national anthem. I am a Philadelphian, so maybe I'm a little biased, but I think Philadelphia freedom kind of captures our spirit as a country. It would not make for a bad national anthem. Okay, moving on. So this is, of course, Tina Turner. And I know she's not writing about a country. She's writing about a lover. But sometimes, you know, you just have something that's so powerful with both the lyric and the music behind that lyric. And I just feel like it captures a certain kind of thing that I like about America. It is maybe not a national anthem, but it's a theme song for American exceptionalism. I would like this song to play when we deliver the next shipment of tank-killing drones to the Ukrainian army. Or Elon Musk should play this at Twitter headquarters when he finally purchases the company, if indeed he does purchase it. Or when Jeff Bezos creates some colony on the moon, because we are simply the best. And I'm not going to give up on America. Let's come back the other way at a time when so many people are like, oh, I'm so down on America because of the Supreme Court or this or that. And I'm not saying that we don't have our problems, but we are nonetheless simply the best. That's how I feel. All right, last one. What is America to me? A name, a map, or a flag I see. A certain word, democracy. What is America? To me. The house I live in, a father, a street, the grocer and the butcher, and the people that I meet. The children in the playground, the faces that I see, all races and religions, that's America to me. Okay, so, so this one is from the chairman of the board. Old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra. It's called The House That I Live In, and it was first performed by Frank Sinatra in a short film he made in the 1940s where he's rapping with a group of, like, New York street kids about how uncool bigotry and racism is. I think he even says you need to be, like, a real fathead. It's, it's dated in this film. 
But at this time, when so much racism had permeated at the heights of our popular culture, it was a very bold and courageous thing for Sinatra to do early on in his career. And he really was an ally of the civil rights movement when it counted in the 1950s and 1960s. And all of it's kind of an irony because, you know, in, in the 1960s, he formed something called the Rat Pack. It included Sammy Davis Jr., who was black and, uh, and Jewish, by the way. But they often made Sammy Davis Jr. the butt of very racist jokes in their legendary routines in Vegas. It does not age very well right now. And it's kind of indicative of how, as the 60s went on, Frank Sinatra became out of step with youth culture when he was very influential with the parents of the baby boomers. Sinatra contains multitudes. He was an early supporter, as I said, of the civil rights movement. He hired black musicians when his industry was entirely segregated. And he gave Quincy Jones one of his first big breaks when he let him conduct the orchestra and be the arranger for his great concert album, Sinatra the Sands, which still sounds great to this day. I recommend it. Anyway, I love the song, The House I Live In. It really just expresses a very simple but powerful message. All of the people who come from all over the world in this country are our neighbors. We are all Americans. It's the house that I live in, and it wouldn't be our home if we didn't have all of these people coming to our country and we all trying to live together. It's not always been like that. We've had a lot of violence, of course, but it is an ideal, and a national anthem should sort of express that such an ideal. So I really like that song a lot, and I think it would make a far better national anthem than a mediocre poem about the War of 1812. And with that in mind, I want to say happy 4th of July, listeners. I'll see you in a couple days. Stay free. Enjoy yourself. Barbecue. Light off some fireworks. The 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. This has been The Re-Education with Eli Lake, a nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcast. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing.